and welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play, but you know what this is. We are 202 <laughs> episodes in, so if you don't know by now, my name is H. You can call me Ryan Heyman <laughs> if you choose to, if you want to be fancy about it. Yeah, and at this point, I'm Q, and you can call me Ryan Quintel if you want. Just today, I think, uh, the fine folks over at Microsoft gave me a original Xbox... Uh, wallpaper dynamic wallpaper uh, for the <laughs> xbox and i have to say i'm very excited to see leaning into some classic things i'm hoping banjo maybe uh i see sometime soon i'm hoping for more classic things i've got Baldur's gate installed on my uh xbox series x i can't say that necessarily an embracing of the classic slime in a tube Xbox startup <laughs> motif uh, in the new Series X architecture is any indication that any platforming uh, revivals are going yeah. to be made. I wouldn't really call Banjo a member of the original Xbox, original Xbox family. Like he made his Xbox debut on the uh, 360 with uh, Nuts and Bolts or with the uh, Banjo Kazooie and Banjo Tooie remasters shortly before those which do continue to play lovely and uh, wonderfully on uh, Xbox Series X, I have tested. I do like all the kind of like OG Xbox stuff that is being brought back. The original Duke controller. I mean, not that I would like choose to use one necessarily, but <laughs> like just the fact that they've shied away from that point in history and have like produced at, you know, great expense necessarily a a faithful reproduction of a controller that even they moved away from right during later years of the xbox's development is uh i don't know i like that commitment to history i wish xbox was an old enough brand to where we could really like get into some like retro stuff you know like if right if, if this was like sega or atari or somebody that's been around forever yeah it's interesting every time that uh rumor crops up of like oh microsoft's gonna buy sega which i feel like gets floated every probably about, about every eight months or so in rotation i i keep having this feeling of like what would that look like would it be that happens um and uh suddenly sega like suddenly we we're, we're at E3 and Microsoft is doing like, we've got a rich history of gaming and they start with Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm like, no, you didn't make that. The Xbox Genesis, the Xbox Saturn. <laughs> right, Microsoft's <laughs> Sega Genesis. Uh, are you That's like what uh, Google did when they unveiled the Stadia is they had that like that display full of like a row of cases of like gaming innovations from years past. And it was like, the Virtual Boy, the Dreamcast, and like things that had like famously failed. I think they even had like the Atari ET cartridge. And it's like, I don't know what you're trying to communicate, but like placing yourself as the wow. newest step in a line of failures <laughs> is a uh, bold marketing strategy and uh, turns out to be a prescient marketing strategy. <laughs> yeah, there is, there is this feeling, right? Like of, uh, if you if you have the hubris to think that you are going to snap a long line of or like look at all these who are ahead of their time and we're going to do something now that's also ahead of its time you're like eh, maybe in this market you want to do things that are just at their time or <laughs> just beginning their time that's like where the video game market seems to 
find its most comfortable point. But yeah, it's funny now because we're in this era, right, where I feel like I hear people talking about PlayStation the way that I think of as a Nintendo kid growing up, right? They're saying, oh, I remember, you know, that early 3D stuff is what they're nostalgic for and the spinning disc and the whole, uh, I don't know, the, the fact that the PS1 played CDs or whatever. But I I think of that stuff now as like, I remember it fondly, but it was a step towards where we are now and, you know, where 3D gaming continues to evolve um, but I, I don't know if I, like, I couldn't probably play the old Spyro games, but I could play Spyro Reignited. Yeah, you know, I think maybe this is kind of an unscientific way to look at it, but like, if gaming technology had stopped at the Super Nintendo era, I can still see myself being pretty happy with that. Continuing innovations would cause, you know, different types of games to evolve, mm. but all within that kind of sprite. And, you know, a lot of games do kind of evoke that Super Nintendo sprite era. It's natural to assume we'd still get a Dead Cells or whatever. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I can, still, I can see it being quite a thriving industry, but if gaming technology had stopped at PlayStation, I guess we wouldn't know any better. <laughs> yeah. But it just feels like such a more bleak reality of the future of gaming always being these kind of like jagged, wobbly polygons. And I mean, it's... It's fine as a step towards something greater, but I don't think it was an ends in and of itself. Plenty of PlayStation games that I like, don't get me wrong, you know, but even of the ones that I like, it's hard to not look at their sequels and think, yeah, this is a vast improvement. Like maybe, (laughs) maybe Parappa the Rapper is like the only one that I can think of that really peaked on PlayStation 1. But uh, otherwise, I think, yeah, continuing technological evolution only benefited most of my PS1 favorites. Agreed. And uh, as an anecdote, before we get into the pitches, I fired up my PlayStation Vita to just load a bunch of things on the memory card because I figured it was all going away until Sony made its change. But I've I've charged it up and Mm -hmm. I started browsing the store and I was happy to see all these PlayStation 1 games that I could play on the Vita. Nowhere to be found was Metal Gear Solid 1. I was like, surely this game would, you know, the Vita is perfect for being able to run so many PlayStation 1 games and it's not there. And so I, I went and looked it up and what was Metal Gear Solid 1's most recent appearance? PlayStation 3? It is the PlayStation Classic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we got it on that. It's surprising. Um, I guess I'll pull that out I'm, of the closet. I'm wondering if uh, if does anything that the PlayStation, that the Vita couldn't do that is necessary to finish the game. Like I, I remember when I played it on PlayStation 3, I had to do some sort of like, management of yeah virtual you know obviously you have ports. to like virtual controller ports for the um for the psycho Manus fight and i think you have to do some configuration of your memory storage or something oh. to allow you to progress at some point and you also have to like be able to dip into the virtual manual to get the i mean obviously you don't have to have to these days there are alternatives but if you were to like i think the sell Vita it has as a commercial still. product okay well, you have to have access to the virtual manual to get like uh, to get Meryl's codec number, yeah, <laughs> so you can right, give her a right. call at some point. 
Yeah, you got it. It's still there. Isn't that crazy? That's still there. They should have made the PlayStation Classic literally just Metal Gear Solid and then all of the games that Psycho Mantis would comment on from your memory card. Let's uh, let's get into some video game pitches. I feel like we've uh, danced around it long <laughs> enough. Uh, let's get into some creative expressions here on episode 202 of Playwrights. I'll be going first. You know, I've been dipping into some racing games recently. I was noticing today I don't particularly love racing games. I should, that sounds pejorative. I should say, I don't particularly have strong opinions about racing games, but I was looking at the games that I have installed on my Xbox Series X and it was all like Forza Horizon 4, Burnout Revenge, Burnout Paradise, Split Second, Dirt 5. I was like, I have a lot of vehicle racing games on my Xbox Series X. Uh, obviously, I mean, for Dirt 5 and Forza, like racing games have always been a great way to show off new hardware. Like they are spectacle. They are usually like very visually pleasing in ways that oftentimes feel impossible. Uh, if you've, if you're brand new to a new kind of series of, of hardware generation, then, uh, it can feel very impressive. But one of the things that I kept on thinking as I've been playing through some of these racing games is that car racing to me isn't that interesting Mm. because like there are some cars that are just like playing faster than other cars. Right. And sometimes you'll end up in a race where it's like, you'll have somebody who just like zooms way ahead of you and there's just no way that you're ever going to catch up to them. Yeah. And you can be taking all the turns correctly. And it's just like, that's just not (laughs) ever going to happen. And it's frustrating. And I don't know how to solve it because like some cars just are faster than other cars. And so I thought like, what if we do a, like an on foot racing game, something that is more expressive, you know, maybe like a 3d version of like a speedrunners or something like that like where you have the expressiveness of a 3d platformer but it is a point a to b race and also take some of the burnout paradise uh, dna have it exist in a kind of open world environment probably like an open city and so it really kind of lets you map out your own route and figure things out on the go i i wanted to call it kind of parkourish but i didn't want it to be like a mirror's edge course. Like I don't want to build out prescriptive Mm. jungle gym courses for people to follow. Like I want it to just literally be a neutral playground that you can learn your way through just like paradise city and uh, race your way through on foot. So it is more about the tactile skill of movement than it is about the torque and horsepower of whatever vehicle you're driving. So I'm going to start the clock there. One of the things that I I agree with you about the racing game thing, one way that I've seen Forza series handle it in the past is, you know, and Gran Turismo did this, but like assigning a class of car. But even that, like there's a range mm-hmm. within a class and there's always like one car that's like, this is just right, like the this best is just C-class car. <laughs> right. It's like, that's not interesting. You know? <laughs> I agree with you. I do like when Forza Horizon like kicks me into a, okay, everybody's got like, you know, a classic 1950s car that like turns like a boat and uh, is kind of slow. Yeah. Or there, that's the kind of thing that Wreckfest excels at. Yeah. Like the cars in Wreckfest are like intentionally 
unpleasant to drive (laughs) a lot of the time and become more unpleasant to drive as they get beaten up. And like, that's the thrill of it because you know, everyone else is having as much of a problem as you are. (laughs) And I mean, this takes me into, because I'm watching speedrunners gameplay as you, after you had mentioned it, by by the way, 200 episodes in, I, I don't know if I've ever publicly acknowledged it, but I will often, as you start to describe a game to me, go and watch gameplay to get the feeling and the vibe of oh, it. Yeah, I don't certainly. know if you do that too. Well, I, I, I know all games already, so... <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, that's why it's so hard to stump you in the, uh, the redacted games. Uh, the Oh, it's happened. <laughs> the, the thing that I'm thinking about, right, because I, I love this idea of like these big courses and flows and run speeds, but I wonder if we could bring in to a, a running game, like a physical parkourish game some RPG-esque elements like we get with some car games or even just like tuning elements for car games. And so maybe we let you, if we added in some mechanics of like, okay, well, you can have a a pre-race shake of, you know, a particular buff or something like that. And everybody can choose whatever, you know, whatever buff they're going to get. And then maybe you also do like training because, you know, with runners, like, somebody who just straight up is putting in the training and and putting the right things in their body is is likely to be faster than someone else if all all things all things genetically are equal those are pretty big determining factors and i wonder how you could when i think about class of car maybe there's um frequency uh, or level of commitment with running so you could be in the total you know, slob, <laughs> it's, it's a rough description, but you could be in the, the, the couch to 5k class where you got a bunch of like the, your our avatar gets a little out of shape and they're sluggish on the course, but it's fun. Everybody's bumping into each other, that kind of thing. Still a good time, maybe a little bit more fall guys esque, but if you commit to coming in, you know, doing training, uh, with other people in like almost like unranked multiplayer, you can actually tone up your character and have them compete in higher and higher tiers of uh, competitive play. So, you know, eventually, like at the top level, the game does look like an intense match of speedrunners with these incredibly acrobatic people with all these crazy, you know, swinging and jumping and flying through the air. Yeah, so I mean, I, I feel like that is kind of the concession that driving games make for accusations of a lack of expressiveness in the, uh, I guess, how prescriptive the rankings of cars can be. You know, I feel like they they say, well, you know, you can get any car to be a winner if you put in the work to fine-tune it to be exactly how you want it to be. And then, you know, they give you the options to replace the brake pads and the lift and the i don't even know what the different parts of the car are but like, <laughs> like you get these lift, really kind of like the two. <laughs> <laughs> you, like starting from like i don't know i first encountered it in like need for speed underground yes. but you know these these parts where they would like break apart the car and like show you each of the little tiny parts you got to replace at your at your pleasure to me like i i don't i don't want to learn all of that like i want something that's really kind of accessible you can just kind of get in there and play and uh, maybe you can train up your character to become more of a uh, adept runner, but uh, I feel like that kind of gets away from some of the immediacy that I wanted to impart as well. And so maybe like maybe there is like a story 
mode, but I would also want something that's easily pick up and play. Everyone's on an equal playing field multiplayer. Mm. So you don't have any kind of, you know, pay to win or, you know, the people, the newbies are always going to get trampled by the experienced runners. I guess they would be because the experienced runners know all the shortcuts and stuff, but I don't want it to be a matter of like, well, that runner is just better than your runner was. I, I have to admit, I am, uh, I have wondered multiple times, like what you could do with the, granted, I, I don't have a ton of experience with the first one, but what, what could you do with the Nidhogg 2 engine uh, stuff? And could, what would the Nidhogg racing game be like if it was kind of screen by screen based races? You could still fall, you could still, you know, fall down in a trap, you can still kind of trip yourself up. Um, but that moment in Nidhogg when two, one person is just running for the hills knowing that they can die in, in one hit, there, there is a fury and a satisfaction to booking it in that game, if you will, Yeah. that I feel like if you added in some you know, some pitfall style stuff. Like uh, it's like pitfall at seven X the speed, um, but swinging and, uh, you know, platforming off stuff. You'd have a really kind of cool, fun racing game on your hands on foot racing game. So gameplay wise, what if we put this as kind of like a in-between point between like super Mario Odyssey and Assassin's Creed, where you can kind of climb and swing around and you get kind of an, realistic looking parkourish animation, but you also get the expressiveness of a Mario Odyssey, the ability to kind of defy logic and gravity with your wall jumps and uh, dive jumps and maybe some way to kind of like reroute yourself and reposition yourself in midair. Everything's a little bit larger than life, but ultimately like working towards specific goals. And I think like the interesting thing to me would be trying to balance the risk and reward of climbing buildings because like Assassin's Creed in Mario Odyssey to a degree in a lot of these types of games, you know, Batman, um, Spider-Man yeah. is a great example yes, where like you spend a lot of time on the rooftops, mm -hmm. but it's not because you're necessarily moving faster on the rooftops. And in fact, you can find yourself in really unfortunate positions where buildings are too far apart from each other or there just isn't another yeah. building in the specific direction you want to go to. So it's like, why don't I stay on the ground? Well, because when, when you can swing from something on the rooftop or when you can jump from rooftop to rooftop, like you can end up covering more ground. You have a little bit more freedom. There are fewer obstacles on the roof than there are on the ground. And so, you know, finding natural ways to get players to want to, climb which in a racing game in which you're being tasked with kind of traversing a primarily horizontal space dedicating time to the to the climb dedicating time to the vertical element uh is essentially reducing your horizontal speed to virtually nothing and so we have to make that trade-off worth it as well like if, if you get higher you know there's some sort of an advantage to being up there that makes the uh 
makes it like a real kind of neck and neck race between the players who stay on the ground and those who choose to climb. I, I was also thinking about some of the locomotion that you're reminding me of and the on footness is I wonder what a third person Titanfall 2 gameplay oh, yeah. experience would feel like because I, I the way you can kind of endlessly wall run in Titanfall 2 is I think that maybe also was similar in Titanfall 1 but I don't, I don't remember well enough but the I was thinking about this twist too of the risk reward because let's say it's a Fall Guys-esque thing where maybe there's a ton of racers to start. You see it in Fall Guys, this behavior of like the people who really know what's up uh, or who are really good will all follow a similar min-maxed pattern, right? So maybe you can run and slide and stuff from the get or you can start to try and wall jump and and stay up and would it be would it be fun slash uh you know risk rewardy for the people who are on the ground that are seeing all these expert players just wall jumping just like totally moving faster than them uh if you you were one of the slow folks who's chosen to kind of take the lower path have little i don't know trip wires or buttons or sensors that make fire fill the walls or something Oh, we're getting into split second territory. <laughs> oh, I've never played <laughs> triggering it. traps for you. Yeah. Oh, you never played split second. I've it never is, played it. Yeah, it is definitely worth playing. I I went back to it recently on the Xbox Series X, and um, unfortunately, it uh, it runs at thirty frames per second Bye. and seems to be capped there. Which I understand there is a PC version with mods that can uncap the frame rate, but for a burnout style racing game a 30 frame cap is just not going to do it yeah i do like the idea of being able to foil the best players like let the worst players foil the best players and that that to me is almost that mario kart-esque mechanic of like hey listen person in last place is just going to get blue shells that is what they are going to get let's let's go ahead and close that one down and let's come up with a name for this i've got a weird one for you spicy legs spicy legs I was thinking of something like parkour or something like you are <laughs> oh. using parkour to try to reach distant areas, but I don't know. Speed core, uh, parkour, speed laces. Speed, yeah, Ooh, laces like is speed interesting. Racer. Speed laser laces is kind of fun, actually. Laces, laces out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or, or, or what, what about this? Laces off. Laces off. That's, that's fun. It's like, uh, how about lace off? Like lace the, off. Uh, Nicholas Cage and John Travolta movie. <laughs> yes. As I trace my fingers <laughs> down your shoes. I like it. We'll take his lace off. <laughs> I like it. All right. Lace off. Ryan Quintel Q. Why don't you give us a pitch of your own? So, uh, speaking of open world games and speaking of Assassin's Creed, I, I would generically say this could be a um, Assassin's Creed slash a, a Breath of the Wild sort of inspired thing because I've been spending a lot of time in the past with the Assassin's Creed stuff. And in Zelda, there's this feeling of kind of far futurism in some ways, uh, even though it's very naturalistic. And I was thinking about, could there be a, a, a one of these open world style games where the mechanic is at... Either you can maybe either make it player driven or maybe you uh, and lock it behind some stuff or you make it totally open, but the player can advance time, but they cannot rewind it. They can't ever bring time back. So you kind of get into a 
the time machine type scenario where maybe you start off in ancient civilization, you can get all the way to modern times, but you can keep pushing until you're past the, you know, you're in the last of us, you're past the fall of man, vegetation takes over, cities crumble, and maybe you're living through multiple societies. Um, maybe you go all the way to the end of the, the planet. I didn't get to start the clock. So that's an interesting idea. I think if, you, if you're trying to solve a non-time-based puzzle with time-based mechanics, that creates an interesting dichotomy because I want the passage of time to feel like an intended side effect of what you're trying to produce. Oh, interesting. So for instance, if you're trying to solve a platforming puzzle and you fast forward time until a structure collapses, right? Is it just you have to live with the consequences of being that far in the future for the short term gain of solving that platforming puzzle. Uh, you also have to balance like, should these puzzles be solvable without fast forwarding? Like if we're punishing, essentially, if we're punishing narratively people for advancing time, are we giving them any choice with any kind of like time advancement story? There comes a point necessarily where the advancement of time becomes less interesting because like society has collapsed right. or whatever. It's so if, if this is the mechanic for the game, if at the end of level one, you're at the extinction of humanity, like how much are things going to drastically change from there? And even if things do continue to change with the kind of like ebb and flow of nature, is there any longer any kind of narrative weight to the passage of time if right. everyone you've ever known or loved is dead. Yeah, well, is there meaning to, to the passage of time is a uh, a question we will never be able to answer on this show. But um, the uh, yeah, and I wonder if it's more playing up the cyclical nature of time and how, yes, there will be another group of people with another set of problems. Uh, maybe it's more No Man's Sky-esque in the way that it handles the systemic sort of things you're exposed to. No Man's Sky is using it to do planet and world generation, but potentially each civilization uh, advancement could be a series of these properties. Yeah, I, I kind of like wanted to recreate the feeling of someone in the way that you can in No Man's Sky kind of just say, no, you know what? This is, this is the planet. This is where I want to be, which is something for, I think, anybody who's who's lived in multiple places, um, you, you reach a point where you go, no, you know, I think, I think this is the place for me. And maybe it's your hometown. You go back home. Maybe it's a new place. Maybe it's the third place in the 10 places that you lived. But the idea of, no, this is the time is really appealing to me. And I don't know if there's a way to, to turn that into a mechanic, but I like the idea of what if we set up for these time puzzles, like you said, the, what is the risk of it just advancing the clock? Well, number one, maybe you need to complete puzzles to like get the element that allows you to do jump into your time machine that only jumps forward. But the the other thing I think we could do is if we set up early on, hey, listen, different materials decay at different rates, right? So if you want to fast forward far mm -hmm. enough to decay these platforms or make this an easier platforming challenge, well, maybe the key is made of, I don't know, bronze or something that is not going to have the same shelf life as uh, some of the massive stone pillars or something that it's around. And now you just can't do that puzzle. We could. So yeah, I think narratively we need characters and society to be a kind of an ever present 
function of the story, but you know, that works against kind of the core themes of like entropy and loss of opportunity. Maybe, maybe the world is cyclical, maybe as a society falls, another one rebuilds. And so you never advance past mechanically, you never advance past the point at which a puzzle is solvable because it will always be rebuilt. But Mm. so, but again, does that undercut the like narrative consequences of what we're going for? Like if you're in the next cycle, if you, if you started in the year 2000 and ended in the year 2000 of the next cycle, like functionally, you don't know anybody there. And so it is essentially like you're in a completely alien world and it doesn't mean like four or five cycles in, it's still going to be as alien as it was before. Yeah, I guess you're right. I I wonder if it, if this is not about the open world or maybe not even about puzzles necessarily, but what would it feel like to have, have a, this is probably not the type of trade-off that's possible, but could you have a, say a disco Elysium size space with a large, maybe 50% of the disco Elysium size, but with a, that similar level of richness and then do it across time. And maybe it's, you know, I'm thinking maybe there's, uh, there's something to the advancement where you kind of reach the end and you can't advance further or your time machine breaks or something like that. But can you like extract the richness from each of the time periods and learn about the way that those people lived and maybe solve the more mundane problems and go from everything that's like a a murder mystery to you know a psychological thriller or something like that but told in in the time periods so you almost like learn tricks uh, and you you hone your skills in these eras and then something about what you've learned in the past assuming you know the game doesn't totally become an alien thing to you is applicable to the future it would be interesting narratively from a kind of determinist future perspective if you play a detective who like is tasked with solving a mystery and has to travel into the future or you know mm. they can do their best to solve the mystery within their own time period but if you were to go to the future then you have access to dna testing and historical records that far exceed the capabilities of the records in their own time period and you can't bring that information backwards, but because time is cyclical and because time is deterministic and, you know, the same combination of atoms moving in the same directions would produce the same results, mm-hmm. like you could solve the same mystery in the next cycle. It wouldn't be the people who originally hired you, but you could be getting justice for somebody else. But then you're like, well, why didn't I prevent the crime in the first place? I don't know. There's a lot of interesting factors there that I don't think it would work mechanically in a video game, but <laughs> would make for kind of a fun story, maybe. Yeah, I, I now I'm almost thinking about let's in terms of turning it more into a game, a little bit more scoped on the vignettes. Could you be a detective? Could the narrative rapper be you're a detective living in the future? You do have access to time travel. But you can't time travel to, you have to time travel to specific points and you can only stay for certain amounts of time. And the 
you know, because time travel is just kind of like, hey, whatever rules are <laughs> that get established in time travel, things are the rules. But the the point of it being that you're spending the narrative of the game taking all these unsolved cases and one by one going back in time. And so as you jump back to the future, you see how the future is changing based on your ability to solve all these crimes. You know, one of the most interesting releases from this year, video game wise, has been a game called Before Your Eyes, which I think I've talked about on the show before. I'm certain I have, where you're going through this kind of narrative. And then every time that you blink in real life, you're zapped like at like an untold oh, yeah. and kind of random amount of time into the future of this character. That kind of being unsettled in time would be a really interesting mechanic if maybe you, we could use that same kind of mechanic, like a webcam that tracks your blinking and will move you either, you know, forward or backward to a random point in time mm. based like wherever you're standing in the game world. And so you can use that to your advantage as you are gathering clues and talking to witnesses and viewing where people were or are going to be at different times, but you can't control where you're going to end up. You have to use contextual clues. Maybe it's over the course of a day. And so you can use the position of the sun as like a way to kind of ground yourself and like where and when you are. And, um, but also like it would be, a uh, potential it could be potentially annoying because you could be hearing out somebody's confession and their or somebody's witness account and they're taking a long time to get to the details and sometimes you just really need to blink so you're like come on out with the details you know mm. there's that tension that comes from like i don't know how much longer i can and then if you blink you relieve yourself then that moment is gone you have to find it again somehow yeah, that's interesting. And then you're kind of always, I don't know if the term is you're kind of always fighting that your your natural instinct, but yeah, it's it's like you really do, maybe you create situations where you just know that if you blink right now, you're going to lose someone or you're going to uh, be put in that position. Maybe maybe before your eyes already plays with those types of themes, but uh, it's it's interesting to me. Let's close it down. We spent enough time there and let's give it a name. Uh, oh man. I something like time after time. If we used that before, time after time. It's kinda like the uh the song. Time after time. Let's get Cindy Lop right here. Uh let me look. You would think so. Time after time. The search on playwrightcast.com is slow today. Your search did not match any documents. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> Documents. What a romantic way to talk about our creative endeavors. <laughs> I was going to say, four years of work, and unfortunately, our search does not match any documents. Okay. Well, that'll work then. Let's claim it. And let's go to a contribution from our listeners. Uh, we had a very nice email in this week that I'd like to kind of skip forward in line and go ahead and read. This comes from a new name, as far as I can tell. Apologies if I have uh, have forgotten any previous pitches, but I believe it's a new name. This comes from a Michael Glasmacher. Is that right? Glasmacher, I would uh, I would guess. I think so. Apologies if that is incorrect. Who says, first off, thank you guys for providing a safe space for my anxious brain to come to and focus on something else. It means more than you can know. I appreciate that. 
I I think there's a certain amount of anxiety that goes into <laughs> recording something, anything <laughs> improv, and kind of being put on the spot to come up with something satisfying and creative. And so I'm glad that it is still coming across as like a relaxing. <laughs> Our anxiety can reduce your anxiety. Like I, I just hope it's not layering on to people's anxiety and causing more of it. <laughs> but it doesn't sound like that's the uh like that's the case. So, anyways, love to hear that. Thank you very much for sending that in. He says, onto the pitch, you play as an electric pulse traveling through different neurons in the brain of a person with dementia. Cool. You're trying to get a certain memory or thought, but there are blocked off pathways that force you to take roots to other memories to try to get to where you need to go. On your journey, you learn about the full life of the person and unlock new and different memories as you progress. Very interesting and challenging. I like it. Let's go ahead and start the clock. It's interesting because something about this pitch took me straight to a really emotional end to the game. It it mm-hmm. like took me into the, you know, the last in the moment that is like the sort of the end of the game journey where it's this kind of swell of emotion and the music is rushing in and there's this whole uh, feeling, the creating the feeling of the neurons going dark um, and, you know, spinning down after a long life and, and, or, or slowly realizing that you're not, you're not going to be able to go through any of your old pathways or you can't go back and reference something anymore as the, the mind and the body do what all bodies and many minds do. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like very affecting to me. I think grounding this in before your eyes, which we just mentioned is a really strong kind of point of reference um, to the moon as well, obviously has to do with like revisiting the memories of somebody who is suffering from old age memory loss, as well as uh, you come to understand later on in the game, other physiological effects that are blocking out certain uh, certain paths uh, that might be fruitful from a memory perspective. So if we want to kind of frame this as a puzzle, naturally it would be kind of a narrative first kind of game. And so it would funnel you down kind of a certain avenue, but it would be great if we can make it feel like we're kind of solving a puzzle along the way. What if we get a a rough glimpse, an out-of-context scene that plays out um, almost like a Return of the Oberdin situation? Like we see a scene at the beginning of the game, and basically our mission is like, this is the happiest memory, or this is the most important memory of this person's life, see if you can access it directly to give them their, you know, final moment before they pass or whatever it is. Um, you know, let them relive their most, their happiest or the most important point in life. Oh, interesting. And we're given this scene out of context and we don't know anything about it. And so kind of like Oprah did, we have to kind of like, we have to follow at first seemingly random roots to uncover other memories and try to gain more context that we can take back to that original memory. We start to recognize people, you know, obviously that look different at various points in their life. We start to recognize maybe symbols or feelings, emotions that we can use to kind of like trigger similar feel, like almost like a mm. her story in a way as well, where 
we can find a detail that seems important and we can like search for that detail or we can kind of layer on that detail onto a memory later to go onto a slightly separate neural pathway and get to a different set of memories that will give us more vocabulary, more gameplay vocabulary to chase other avenues. And it's just kind of like a a way of kind of like slip sliding through various scenes in this person's life to try to come to a predetermined conclusion and try to fully contextualize why this one scene we were given at the beginning is so important. That's interesting. Uh, it, it almost, the one of the mechanics when you brought in her story that it made me think of would be, could you do something where you're kind of saying to the player, hey, all these memories, like it, your hard drive is, it, it, <laughs> hard drive is an analogy, but uh, the your brain can only access these memories for so long. And you got to sort through mm-hmm. the memories that you think are important at this moment that you have access to and decide which ones you're going to kind of focus on or advance to the next drive, like the next drive that will be good for some additional period of time. And so you're almost like constantly trying to renew the lease on the most important memories as you, as you maybe learn more things. I'm trying to think of, was it Oberdin? Man, there was some game that just did this. Oh, it was the medium that did this where you kind of have a couple scenes where there's, where you're taking two joysticks and you're sort of syncing them up to, you know, we've all done the lock picking mini game. Mm, right. Yeah. It was the lock picking mini game, but for memories or reconstructing these experiences. And so, yeah, that feeling of reconstruction and maybe the frustration or, or, or manifesting the frustration of reconstruction getting more and more difficult and more and more tedious to even recall a single memory. And so like memories themselves, you know, the lockpick game is starts as easy as possible. It's like basically two joysticks barely on, you know, one end of the controller or the other, and you've got a match. And then by the fourth, fifth, sixth, tenth time you've accessed that memory, now it's like a tedious, like, oh, I gotta really dig in to to be able to get back and actually recall what that thing was. Yeah. So one of the difficult details here is the pruning of information as you go. You know, if the dementia is advancing, then uh, old memories become inaccessible. But like that feels that feels unfriendly to players who didn't take good notes the first time around. Or you know, if memories that you've already visited become inaccessible what are we are yeah you know, we're kind of excluding players who maybe play 2 hours of the game set it down for a couple of months and then come back later mm-hmm. maybe old memories are still accessible but become distorted in ways like you lose certain pieces of information but there's still enough to kind of give you a general reminder of what happened there yeah but even that like i've i've been guilty of walking out of a room when a cutscene is playing and like <laughs> you know i don't want to punish people who just like had to answer an email and weren't paying attention for a moment. Like I don't want that ruining their entire gameplay experience. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I, I, I do think that there's maybe it's more of a matter of 
I'm trying to think of an analogy about how the dementia, how dementia is experienced. Um, not that I'm like, neither of us are medical professionals, but the, that feeling of maybe if you give someone too much, the more confused they get. Or every time you watch this Oberdin like scene, maybe something like literally the game has the ability to, to change some aspect of it. Right. Like right, going yeah. back and, and watching, oh, we got into a fight. Where was the fight? It was the lake. I thought you said it was at the house. Maybe, you know, maybe this is a person who, uh, <laughs> I know we get into mysteries and detective games quite a bit on the show, but I think mysteries are such a rich genre for both providing a narrative wrapper and a central puzzle to be solved. And the, I like the idea of kind of going and trying to find out like it, 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 it almost like in um, that recent don't nod game where you're going through and you're like, okay, here's the memory. Is the memory reliable? Is that how that yeah. went? And playing with the mechanics of, well, you can watch a, a cutscene 10 times and maybe three things are changing about it, but these other three things are very consistent about it. And so as you learn more things, you kind of have to go back and fill in what was the canonical thing that took place based on this memory. There was a movie last year, I think it was, called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Have you seen that one? It was on Netflix. I think it prepared, uh, premiered on Netflix. Oh, I haven't. It's, um, it's kind of similar to this. It's somebody who's kind of at the, an elderly person, kind of at the end of his life, uh, reminiscing about points in his life and thinking about where his life went wrong or what he could have done differently or better. But there's characters that are, you know, entirely fabricated. There are scenes that play out that are clearly more of an amalgamation of a number of different experiences rather than representing one thing specifically. Uh, and then there's um, these imagined characters sometimes interface with these untruthful situations. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's an interesting mix of these different elements that we're talking about. And I realize I'm, uh, I'm kind of driving us over time now without resolving to a concrete and interesting point, but uh, (laughs) we're talking about mechanics and rappers and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I think the, you know, everything from this game being a very literal, cool neon Tron like puzzle game of, you know, motorcycling through synapses is a maze and you're always trying to find the shortest path there and suddenly paths get closed all the way to something deeper and more introspective with, uh, with those neurons dying and, and things getting harder and harder over time. They're all interesting. Let's go and throw that one back to the community. Uh, we've done our part for now. <laughs> Feels like we didn't, but um, I feel like we, we put out some good thought starters anyways, and we'll look to the community to see how we end up resolving this one. So let's put a bow on that and come up with a name for what we have so far. I love the phrase I'm thinking about ending things. I wonder if there's a, something like that flavor. This isn't the case, but if we were to do a kind of zooming down neural pathways, then memory lane would be <laughs> a appropriate wrapper. Yeah, that's pretty good. Memory lane is good. And uh, and it it's either like an arcadey thing or it's very melancholy. All right, thank you very much, Michael Glasmacher, again, for sending that in. Again, apologies on the last name. 
no pronunciation expert here, but we do appreciate your email. And if you would like to email in something to uh, one of our few remaining episodes, I think we have, what, like six or seven of these left to go, mm-hmm. then you can do so by emailing playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can go to playwrightcast.com slash pitch, or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. And when you're listening to things, why don't you go check out the Caden Rinse podcast? Why don't you go check out the Sausage Factory? And why don't you go give sound a play the send-off it deserves? All right, let's go out with a redacted game. I'll be um, I'll be trying to stump you this week. Stump More me, of a baby. collaborative process than that, but let's see how this goes. <laughs> For two people who are always trying to stump each other, we're very helpful to each other, I think. Well, I think, you know, I don't think it's fun for the listener or for anyone involved for there to be like complete and total destruction on the, on the court. Yeah. Agreed. I think we all want that victory to come through. Right. Retrace the steps of redacted something, redacted loser, redacted Mm. from the original land of the redacted lizards through luxury cruises tropical isles and beyond in search of redacted right or at least redacted now all fives now this is this is odd the phrasing of this one all fives hilarious redacted are redacted for hours of redacted play whatever your age redacted will make you eel better about your redacted i don't know that that's not a hint it's just no it's just poor the way that it is somebody let that copy happen okay there's so many spelling errors that it makes me think it's either not english as a first language for this game or it's old okay i'm a loser there's lands of lizards and there's five five worlds five lands five biomes something ages of time um i'm gonna open my opening salvo it's gonna be the story of something of a loser i'm gonna go for uh oh my god now i'm not gonna remember the game it is by tim schaefer and it's starshack black uh brutal legend brutal legend it is not brutal legend which i'll have you know the main character of that is a very cool dude (laughs) (laughs) Was it, is there anything in that narrative that's like he's dropped in from another world? Yeah. Yeah. He's a, a roadie. <laughs> yeah. Come on. That's... <laughs> but it, it's not that he's like a loser. It's like he's kind of the last harbinger of oh. real, like the real meaning of metal <laughs> in a world that has embraced kind of a pop corny punk metal. <laughs> and he's dropped into like the heavy metal album cover and has to, yeah, has he's to kind show, of show them how things do in the real world. <laughs> Dio has rocked for a long, long time. Okay, I'm going to make my second guess, but I'm probably going to need a ton of metadata and surrounding things. Is this Psychonauts? This is not Psychonauts. And I'll I'll tell you, though it's probably not going to be helpful at this point, that uh, Tim Schafer was not involved. <laughs> it's interesting that the the description of these five things and... But you know what? He'd have all of his copy together, wouldn't he? He's 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 got the writing game together. All right, <laughs> give me some uh, metadata on this bad boy. Okay, um, 
I'm not going to lie. It is not a wealth of <laughs> metadata available. You son of a. But I will say that this is, this is going to be unhelpful and it's going to throw you the wrong direction. So maybe take this as a extra hint that I am feeling uncomfortable about giving you this information, <laughs> okay. thinking it'll lead you farther away from the truth. Ah. But it does have a 9.0 user score for what it's worth. A 9.0. And it has a, an ESRB rating of M. And no meta score, no critical meta score. Oh God, a a mature game that seven people seem to really like. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie, like this is not one that has a lot of activity on its Metacritic page, but like, yeah, it's definitely something that you would have heard of before. (laughs) Oh boy, oh boy, I am trying. I'm definitely like combing my brain for. The, the, there seemed like for a while in games there was that, hey, you're just a normal Joe Schmo and you're dropped into this world. What are you going to do? My brain goes to early 3D to make that happen. But the meta being so unfilled out maybe isn't. Let me give you something else. I'll give you an extra guess on this one because you kind of burnt two guesses pretty quickly. But I'll tell you that this is a this that I'm pulling from is for a compilation release so it's not just a single game it's not just a single game so before you said it's a compilation release i was then trending towards like could this be like a terrible licensed evil dead game or something like that but no (laughs) oh my god i feel like i need not many people like it the people that like it are way into it is there any sort of hint as to the era that i'm dealing with Is it like 3D era or should I be going back to 2D in my brain? I'll say that the most recent game in this compilation released in 1996. Cowabunga. Okay. Cowabunga could be the Simpsons. Could be a Simpsons thing. Um, I know you. I feel like that means I'd be dealing with PC games or something. All right. Sorry. One more walk through the description. Retrace the steps of redacted something, redacted Mm. loser, redacted from the original land of the redacted lizards through luxury cruises, tropical isles, and beyond in search of redacted right, or at least redacted now. All five (laughs) hilarious redacted are redacted for hours of redacted play. Whatever your age, redacted will make you eel better about your redacted it'll make you feel than your redacted about your redacted about your redacted it's a series and you're going on cruises i was going duke nukem but who goes on a freaking cruise oh geez is this uh <laughs> if it is i'm like <laughs> i can't believe i'm gonna say these words is this leisure suit larry Let's find out by reading the unredacted description and feel free to jump in if you have anything to say along the way. Oh, God. Was there a collection? Retrace the steps of 40-something lovable loser Larry Laffer from the original (laughs) Land of the Lounge Lizards through luxury cruises, tropical isles, and beyond in search of Miss Right, or at least Miss Right Now. All five hilarious games are included for hours of risque play. 
whether you, or whatever your age, Larry will make you feel better about your love life. <laughs> about your love Good life. Good job. Jeepers crow. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Leisure suit Larry. Did you redact game, <laughs> the word games from that damn description? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it was like <laughs> all five games or something. Yeah. I didn't want it to give away right at the very beginning that it was a compilation. <laughs> Let me type in leisure suit nudity compilation into Google here. Box. <laughs> <laughs> Just to see what we're working with here, Lair. Man, I don't even. I can't even find the the one that you're talking about. How did you find this it? Is the Leisure Suit Larry collection on PC. <laughs> okay. On uh, Metacritic. Oh, I found it. 2006. Huh? Bold of 2006 to think that that was still a thing. 9.0. I mean, Leisure Suit Larry games are still coming out. There was. So I have to say, I don't know if I mentioned it on the show before, but in 2018 a different studio i have to say um produced a game called leisure suit larry wet dreams don't dry which is a parody of uh dark dreams don't die <laughs> a sweary 65 connect only game and then in 2020 they made a sequel to that called leisure suit larry wet dreams dry twice which is a parody of sekiro shadows die twice <laughs> As a parody of a Sweary 65 Xbox One no. Connect game. Like, it's crazy layers of meta jokes that must appeal to, like, only a small fraction of the gaming audience. <laughs> oh, my God. The layers just keep, like, they keep discovering new niche uh, ways of attacking like, i just like I, I try to think of like the the venn diagram between sweary 65 connect game <laughs> sekiro and leisure suit larry <laughs> well uh i mean according to this metacritic page it starts at seven ratings so yeah that's uh maybe those people are paying six hundred dollars a piece for the game and it becomes worth it i don't know yeah fair enough i mean i i uh i don't know whether or not the Leisure Suit Larry games are any good. I tend to think that like on one hand, you know, these kind of like titillation smut <laughs> type of games yeah. tend to be not like fun. Uh, titillation tends to make up for being lacking in other areas. But <laughs> on the other hand, like in more ways than one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, like for a character like this to persist for as long as he has there has to be something to it and i think like just the idea of kind of like a loser trying to you know score with women is kind of like a classic you know if a bit raunchier but like it feels like yeah. kind of a classic looney tunes type of setup anyways and so i could see how this kind of thing <laughs> might work and so i'm really like i really don't know whether or not these games are actually kind of good and fun or whether they are just kind of you know cheap thrills <laughs> we gotta see i don't know who owns the license sierra seems like at this point their licenses would be with one of those crazy companies uh or 10 cent well crazy like, bunch uh did the most recent oh, two games <laughs> literally crazy so we need microsoft to buy crazy bunch and then officially <laughs> do the gritty reboot of leisure suit larry herb xbox last major nelson <laughs> <laughs> Um, where he just goes oh around podcasting and reporting on Microsoft news to women. And it's a very different vibe. And just like attractive women show up at his door, like 
I'm here to deliver a pizza. Did you order a pizza? And like obvious like porn setups. And he's just like oblivious. He's like, fine, fine. Just put it on the table. I've got more podcasting to do. That's I've right. got to review this brand new blue Xbox One controller. <laughs> Where she's like, I'm here to deliver this pizza. He's like, that reminds me of smart delivery. The Xbox technology that allows <laughs> entitlements to be kept. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that would actually, hey, some, hey, go itch.io, get on the uh, Leisure Suit Larry Herb's Xbox Live Major notes, <laughs> and I will be there day one, I promise. I'll be there in day zero. I'll be on the beta. <laughs> uh, and with that, we wish you a very beta goodbye. Thank you for listening <laughs> for another week. Bye. Bye.